You're listening to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Who's feeling anxious? Is that a trick question? Who has a kid feeling anxious? Okay, well, I have two experts on today to help us out. Dr. Shafali Sabari is back for a third time on the podcast. You know her as the author of The Awakened Family, How to Raise Empowered, Resilient, and Conscious Children, her book, Out of Control, Why Disciplining Your Child Doesn't Work and What Will, and The Conscious Parent, Transforming Ourselves, Empowering Our Children. And I'm really excited to introduce you all to Rini Jane. She has her master's in psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. She's got two kids, and she's the founder of the child psychology startup Go Zen, which uses animation, stories, games, and other materials to teach kids the invaluable skills of resilience. And together, they have written a book. It's called Superpowered, Transform Anxiety into Courage, Confidence, and Resilience. It is for middle-grade readers. I'd say you can go elementary school all the way up to high school. I got a lot of really helpful information from this book for myself. We are going to talk about questioning our thoughts. Uh, You know, like, how do you know the difference between like, oh, I have this feeling, this is my intuition, this is a bad thing, or, oh, this is just my anxiety saying that something's wrong. And we all know that the school year is going to be a long haul. It's going to be full of unpredictability. So I ask our guest today, how do we go with the flow when it feels like we're going down whitewater rapids? Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Message me on Instagram at Atomic Moms. I'll be right back with Dr. Shafali Sabari and Rini Jane. Welcome to Atomic Moms and welcome back, Shafali. This is your, you're a three-peat now. Thank you. Oh for my coming. goodness. Thank you for having me with my fabulous co-author, Rini Jane. Hi guys. Miss Rini, I want to start with you. Okay. So you got your master's in psychology from University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you decide that anxiety and children would become your specialty? And did you ever imagine how important that would become in a time like this? Oh my goodness. That's a good question. So how, how it came to be for me is really, I was just an anxious child. And, you know, if you, you obviously know Dr. Shabali's work because she's a three-peater, right, on Atomic Moms. <laughs> um, I was... I went down this path to heal my inner child. I was consistently worried as a kid, always anxious. I can remember I can remember just a handful of times when I was zen at peace, you know, feeling comfortable in my own skin. But for the most part, I was creeping and crawling with, oh my goodness, what if this happens? And what if I'm what if I fail the test and what if I never make friends and you know, what if what if what if what if And so I couldn't figure out, I tried so hard to explain to my parents what was going on with me, you know, constantly. I don't know, I'm just worried. And I have 
these incredible, loving, like almost overbearing love from the parents, you know, but we love you so much and trust us and everything's fine. And everything you're worried about is, we know it's kind of a big deal to you, but it's really not a big deal. And just nothing they said, even though it was with love, helped me, you know? So I got to this age probably around like 13, 14, 15, around there. I had been worrying since like as long as I can remember. I got to that age where I just started to turn inward and pretend like everything was fine and I didn't want to talk about anything. And I went in my room that was painted black and had posters of The Cure hanging everywhere and I was playing The Cure and I was like, this is my therapy. And eventually, um, you know, I went until, I, I did that until I was like in my early 20s when I started to have these severe panic attacks to the point where I thought I was having a heart attack. And luckily I ended up in therapy, you know, for the first time in my life. And this therapist (laughs) starts to tell me, you know, it's okay to have these feelings, which I think is such a simple statement, but somehow was so life-changing for me. What do you mean it's okay? I thought, they were bad. I thought I was wrong. I thought something was wrong with me. It's like, these are perfectly natural feelings of a human. And it just, you, you have those moments in your life where you're like, ah, oh my goodness, what? Can I go back to the younger version of myself at this moment in time and tell that little eight-year-old girl that it's okay? And so I just, I, whatever I was doing at the time, I had a degree in finance. I was working in technology. I was like, this is, this is all done you know, my life is to help other kids who are feeling the same way. And so, yeah, I went back and got my master's in applied positive psychology or the science of happiness, as some people call it, to help other kids. And with your two children, did they endure anxiety? Obviously, we're all humans. We all do. But did, did they have the same inclinations that you had growing up? Like, did you find that there was a genetic component or were you able to um, create an environment where they were less likely to suffer. Yeah, you know, um, I think that I definitely project, especially onto my daughter, whenever I see her worrying about something, this thing where I think, oh, well, she's, I, I start to go into this domino effect. Oh, yeah, she's got the gene. She's got the, you know, she's got the anxiety. Um <laughs> I think we all have it right now. I think it's been activated on every level for every person, no matter how little or how old. I think even if we're not talking about it with what's going on in the world, I think that kid, kids feel it energetically. They know that like ever, you know, even from the youngest ages, right? Ellie, you have a three-year-old. They see people wearing masks all the time. Something is not the same as it was. And so for my kids, It has been, I remind myself every day that my goal is not to move, plow down the challenges for them, you know, move them out of the way. My goal for them is to teach them how to respond because if it's not the pandemic, it's going to be something else, right? Mm -hmm. At some point. So Shafali, your previous bestsellers include The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family, and those are written for parents and caregivers And this one is written to empower a younger audience. So I'm curious, though, for all the parents and caregivers out there who are seeing their children suffer from anxiety, what would your message be to them? What do you need them to hear right now? Well, similar to what Rini said, you know, that the isness is what it is. And if we deflect it or numb it or suppress it or distract it, 
it isn't going to go away. It's going to become bigger. So is it uncomfortable right now? Yes, hideously, horrendously so. Is it uh, a long tunnel ahead with the future unknown? Absolutely. But if we don't allow it to be what it is, uncomfortable, you know, fearful, anxiety-provoking, then we will make it worse. So it's almost like we have no choice when crisis hits, uh, except to embrace that we are now in murky waters. The, the shore is far away. It is going to be a rough ride. And we just have to, you know, take one for the team and just do this till, it, till the tide changes. You know, confronting it and owning the murkiness, owning the chaos is the only way to abate it. Any other way is going to create more. So, yeah, would we like to numb out on Netflix and cookies for the entire next of 2020? But it's not going to go, but it's still not going to take anything away. If anything, now we have to buy new clothes and we're, you know, we have to join Alcoholics Anonymous. So now we have more problems. So what, how do you cut short this? How do you short circuit a crisis is to just go for the jugular and go, this sucks. This is hard. No one wants this. I'm anxious. Now we have to ride these waters and not running away from it and not making it, you know, not conflating it, just mm -hmm. staying in it day in and day out will allow us to get to the shore faster, you know, to a new shore faster. We're living in Colorado now. So I got to school with my preschooler this morning and about to do the temperature check. And the teacher comes out and she goes, did you get my text? And I said, no. And she said, okay, wow, there are two students home right now who have colds. And I was like, okay, thank you. Put her back in the car. And then it, it changes our day, right? And probably our week. And, uh, you know, hopefully it is just a cold that these children had. But it's this, it's this constant movement and shifting and rearranging and this feeling of like, oh, we've settled. This is okay. And then there's something, another sign that there could be potential danger comes up. We went on a bike ride right afterwards because I wanted to just get rid of some of the anxiety, get in nature and ride my bike with my kid on the back and just like find her happy place before I put her in front of the TV for a lot of today. <laughs> and there was a deer and then a baby deer, and they were on the bike path. They were just still. Then we stopped. Of course, I had to take a picture. Um, oh. And then they trotted off. But it was like she had that moment of danger or alertness, concern, scanning. And then they just like went on their way the rest of the day, right? But there's still that part of me that's still holding on like, oh, when are those other kids going to get their tests back? Like, how do I be more like the deer, Shafali? <laughs> well, here, you know, I, I've been talking about this uh, through the pandemic, that this is the ultimate uh, practice of living in the moment, you know? So we, when we practice mindfulness, we think, you know, it's for a crisis that's never going to come. Well, now here it is. And now we get to see how mindful we really are. You know, every mind, you know, you, you practice meditation and you know what you practice cannot stay in theory. And we always thought it was for theory, you know, oh yeah, I meditate, you know, on Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. Well, now we realize that the meditative way of living moment by moment is, is there for a reason. It is a huge practice in the East and among wisdom teachers for a reason. 
What is the reason for that? It's because the essential nature of life is constantly impermanent, constantly changing, right? And this is not just the theory. It is the truth. But pre-pandemic, it was covered. It was disguised under schedules and organization and routines and summer camps. So we didn't see the uh, lurking groundlessness that was right there. Well, now lurking groundlessness is eating us, uh, coming at us from every corner. And we're like, lurking groundlessness? Who are you, you monster? And lurking groundlessness is like, no, I've been here all along. And now you can, you're, the veils are just taken off from your eyes. And we're like, we don't like you, lurking groundlessness. And lurking groundlessness says, well, sorry, but this is the nature of life. That means you don't like life. So the deer know how to live life, you see. We humans have created and constructed an artificial reality, really, where we think we're in control and we think we're in charge and we schedule interviews and we think they're going to go to, but they do. For the most part, they do. They do go to order. So we're kind of, you know, blessed with this or or cursed with this complacency. And then when this complacency gets shattered, we're very upset. But as, as Vini will talk to more, this anxiety is normal but it can also allow us to elevate. You know, Rini's whole work in gozen.com is about how do we take anxiety and transform it? And that's what this book is about. You know, how do we not just accept the moment to moment changes, which is what I teach, but now how do we transform it? You know, and this whole book is about that. Yeah. You know, Ellie, when you were talking about being at the preschool really and just becoming hyper vigilant, right? All of a sudden your alarms are going off, right? The alarm system in your body is going off. Wait a second. There's a couple kids with a cold or there's some kids who are coughing. And now what does that mean for me? It kind of, I know this is going to sound strange, but it actually reminds me of, I took swimming lessons when I was 32 because I never learned how to swim properly. Thank you. I knew how to swim, but I didn't know how to breathe. And this is what I figured out when I started to breathe is that you can kind of swim forever because you get the endurance. I kept thinking that I need to learn how to swim 50 laps because then that would give me the endurance to last however long, a half hour or an hour. But what I realized is that I didn't have the endurance because I was never breathing properly. I never learned to turn my head and take a breath. And that just gives you the endurance because you can just keep on breathing and breathing and breathing. This is very similar to feeling, okay? Because things have been so orderly, we have not had to encounter a lot of our feelings. This vigilance is really worry sending you a message saying it's worries, little character saying, hey, Ellie, you know what? There might be something to be worried about. Let's make a plan, right? But because we don't interact, because we haven't learned to breathe properly, because we haven't learned to interact with our feelings, every time we get that hypervigilance comes up within us, we feel fatigued from it because we haven't had the practice. So now is the time to practice, to interact with the part of our humanity that is never going away. Worry, sadness, negativity, guilt, anger, and all of these things, frankly, can be extremely functional and useful. And like Shafali said, is the reason why in the book that we wrote, Superpowered, we don't use the word less, like less anxiety or stress less or stress free. We use the word transform because we don't want to get rid of it. We want to interact with something that's part of us and that's there for a reason. So Rini, what are the five superpowers that are a part of all of us that you share in the book? Yes. Thank you for asking. 
you know, when we, when the publisher approached us to write this book, they were like, okay, how do we, how do we help kids with anxiety? And what we came up with is the premise of our work is it's not really about fixing, right? There are things to fix. Sure. Things that go wrong. Sure. You know, things that are disrupting sleep and, and worrying us that we want to work on. But really what we're trying to do is come back to our natural state, which is everybody comes into the world with powers. And so power is an acronym. It stands for presence, right? So Ellie, you have a three-year-old. And I'm sure if you go on a walk with that three-year-old, you're going to realize that it's very hard to walk because they are very present and mindful, right? They're stopping and they're smelling and they're touching and they're feeling they're in the moment. We spend most of the rest of our adult life trying to learn how to be that three-year-old again. They are original, right? They could give a hoot what they're wearing, you know, who's looking at them, what they're, they don't have uh, social media profiles that they curate. They don't care. They're original. They're, they are who they are and they own it. So that's O. They come in whole. They don't need to get a good grade or get someone's approval to feel worthy. They just are right? They're energized. Don't we wake up in the morning when we're kids, jump out of bed, ready to attack the day? Because everything is the world's at our feet. We're ready to explore. We come in as philosophers and we're resilient, right? And you can just like the most basic example of resilience is wanting to master skills. Every kid wants to learn how to walk and they fall a zillion times and they don't say, you know what, I'm just going to give up on walking. Every kid wants to master potty training. Every kid wants to master their skills. We come into the world with these powers. And so this book is about just reclaiming who we are. It's, I almost feel guilty saying this, but there are moments that feel very exciting about the fact that everything's getting kicked up and around because there's, there are different opportunities. You know, we're now in Colorado and my children get to spend more time with my parents and, and that is lovely and never would have happened in a billion years. Um, so there are these moments that are exciting and I, and I am finding that now that I'm in a new place that I'm, ha- you know, new ideas are starting to come up. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way because we have to create this new way of living. We can't be on automatic anymore. And I was wondering if you guys could share the WHOOP method when it comes to goal making, because I think it would be helpful for our children, but also for parents. Yes. So uh, WHOOP was a method that was created by a researcher named Gabrielle Otingen. I'm sure I'm butchering her name. Sorry, Gabrielle. Uh, and it stands for WISH. So a lot of times when we're trying to set a goal, we're told to just, you know, visualize it and then assume it will be. But this is a more research-based method. So wishing for what we want. So that's visualizing the goal. So whatever that goal might be. And then O is, you know, what is the outcome, right, that we're looking for? So wish, outcome, Um, The other O is obstacle. So a lot of times when we are actually setting a goal, we won't think about what are the things that could get in the way. So that, and that actually comes out of research from dieting. So if you want to, you know, if you don't want to eat Oreos in the afternoon, because that's your like go-to thing, then you have to think about, okay, well, what is that? What's the obstacle going to be? 
right? What is that thing going to be? And if you have an obstacle that you come across all the time, then you can create like an if-then statement. Well, if I really want to eat an Oreo, then I will call my mom or then I will replace it with a carrot. So what we know from the research is, is if you think about that obstacle in your contingency plan in advance, then you won't have such an issue with it. And I'm actually like flipping through the book right now because I want to show you guys this picture of Whoop. Shafali, I don't know if you know what page it's on. And, and, the, and the P is, is the plan? And the P is the plan. And the P is the plan. Oh, here it is. Here we go. Okay, wish. Okay, so wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan. Yes, so that is the Whoop method. And as you said, Ellie, in the book, what we kind of fought with our publisher, not fought in it, fought in a very gentle way for kids to be able to write into the book. We wanted them to be able to actually master the skills that we were teaching. Mm-hmm. So this book is full of, you know, really concrete step-by-step strategies for children because it's not just talk. You know, when you, if you took your kid to a therapist or a coach for anxiety issues, there would be a lot of talking. And that's useful, but it's not something that the kids can integrate. And just all these inner processes that we have the kids go through where they fill in and, you know, use their their own feelings in the moment to come up with answers, allow them to integrate their feelings rather than be talked down to or talked to by a, a coach from the outside. This is something they go within themselves, they process and they come up with on their own. So it's kind of a reflective process they go through through this book, not just a, you know, a cold kind of talking to from the outside. It's something that they deeply go through on their own. And it's filled with such amazing ways of breaking down complex ideas like panic, anxiety, feelings. You know, we have journal entries that kids write so kids can find resonance in these, in these words written by other teenagers. So it's really very process oriented and very, reflective. And I love how it does. It breaks it down step by step. So when you were sharing about WHOOP and you say that a lot of people don't think of the obstacle at the beginning of goal setting, I I know a lot of my listeners, uh, and we'll talk about perfectionism in a minute, obstacles uh, are pretty glaring. Like I can point out, <laughs> I mean, I never knew COVID was coming. So I feel like my spidey sense was way off there, but I'm pretty good at knowing right up front what my obstacles are going to be. And then it's all about um, almost like de-ice. I just am thinking of de-icing a plane. Like how do I de-ice the plane of myself to continue on? What is your suggestion for obstacles? Because you said if then statements. So can you break that down for us a little more and how we might be able to use that when our children are saying, this is my obstacle, I can't get to my goal. Yeah, you know, I think that in the moment, it's really hard for anyone when they are in the moment of a really anxious experience to think of what the plan was if they hadn't mapped it out beforehand. It's kind of like taking a road trip and having, um, well, we don't have maps anymore, but you have a GPS and you probably have an emergency kit of some sort. Maybe you have some flares if you're taking a really long road trip, right? This is the same exact thing. You are basically just making that kit in advance of having the issue. And so when it comes up, your brain has recall then. It's like, oh yeah, I wrote it out. If, you know, um, I don't get asked to the winter formal dance, if that's like the worry, then I will hang out with my friends. If 
someone at school is coughing, you know, and I have to go back online, then I will set up the best possible online environment for myself at all at home. So whatever the worry is, if you can create the contingency plan, because you're right, we do think about obstacles, but we don't make plans and we usually don't make them in writing in advance of it happening. What we try to do is I'm going to go to the gym every day and then we hope that we go. And then when things, when we don't feel like it, we forgot to make the plan. So then we just don't go anymore. Right. So the planning happens in advance and doing it in writing has shown that it will push you past the obstacle. Right. But what, what Ellie's talking about, we do talk about in the book as a, a kind of a sickness or something that comes upon you and we call it perfectionitis, right? It's like we gave it a small diagnosis that we all are plagued with this illness. Mm-hmm. We all want to be perfect. And that happens to us because of this culture we live in where we're constantly comparing ourselves with others, constantly you know, putting ourselves on some impossible goalposts that cannot be achieved and and thinking we are lesser than if we don't achieve it. So we talk about perfectionitis a lot in this book because so many teens and preteens suffer from that. I mean, leave alone adults. And how do you de-ice that? Like like you said, how do you de-ice yourself from these inner voices, from this critical thinking that is relentless? Um, And we talk about uh, how do you create an antidote to that? And the creating an antidote really is to own that mistakes are p- pathways to to final success. Like they're not the end point. They're just stepping stones. We talk about uh, owning your wholeness, owning your originality so that you don't have to be like everyone else. But what you talk about is something that kids today, and you know, because of social media, and that's why anxiety is so prevalent today in the world and also now because of COVID is because of social media and all these like buttons and this comparing that kids are doing where it's not just your high school grade that you're comparing to, you're comparing with, you know, the whole world now. Everything is quantified, like every single thing, right? Right. The interesting thing about perfectionism just really quickly is that we often think about it kind of like we have a little bit of pride when we say it, especially if we're perfectionists, you know, it's not seen as such a bad thing. Like, oh, I'm just kind of a perfectionist. But what we see is when we work with kids who are true perfectionists, they're not going toward their goals. They're not going toward what we're talking about that's really great is mastery, right? And grit. They're not gritty and going towards their goals. They are afraid to show up as who they are, a work in progress. They already want to be perfect. And so we talk about it in the book, like being cocooned. They get paralyzed, right? They just, they, they go into a shell of themselves and they don't want to do anything because unless it's perfect, they don't want to show up. And so they actually go away from their goals or risk averse. You know, what's really cool is I bet some kids who get this book, who do struggle with perfectionism, they're going to have a really hard time getting that pen and writing in the workbook sections. And that'll be such a fabulous exercise for them to actually write their own thoughts and feelings and goals and obstacles in a printed book. Because I think that as a kid, I would have been like, oh, but I don't want to mess it up, right? And so it's such a great practice within the book, just writing on something that you got from a store that has these experts writing in it. We're like, get it messy, get it messy. Get it messy. <laughs> One uh, thing I have to share with our listeners is there's a section about 
whether or not you should befriend a thought. And longtime listeners will remember, and Shafali and I have joked about this before, but that I have a tribunal of assholes in my head. And that's <laughs> the, these are the voices in my head. And so this is brilliant, what you all share. How do you know if you should befriend a thought? Stop what you're doing right now and observe your thoughts. Choose one thought and answer these three questions about the thought. One, is this thought useful to me right now? Two, does this thought match my values? Three, is this thought something I truly believe in? And what should we do if the answer is no, (laughs) this thought doesn't match my values (laughs) or... It's not useful to me right now. Then what? Allow. You know, what's interesting, I think, for kids to learn is that technically your brain actually has a spam filter and it gets filled with a lot of, we call it brain spam. So you might have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And a lot of those are floating thoughts that should be caught in your spam filter. And sometimes we're in, the, we're in that part of our, you know, our inbox and our brain and we're focusing on it. So we don't need to necessarily distract ourselves from it, but allow it and allow it to allow it to float by and know that thoughts are not facts. Not everything you think is accurate. And in fact, anxious thoughts are notoriously inaccurate. And all of us have them. All of us have them. So I think just the ability, even if you did none of that, and you just did, Ellie, what you talked about, which was the ability to observe your thoughts and question whether they're aligned with your values, that's a huge leap forward from, I know where I was when I was a kid. I believed everything I thought. Yeah, right. And in the book, we talk about how, a little bit about how culture sets us up for these impossible spammy thoughts. You know, so say you have a thought, I'm only going to be happy if I live in a 20 bedroom mansion, right? Now, you know, it's not aligned with your values. It's not true. It's, it's nothing factual about it, but you have this thought because you saw three girls in a magazine smiling, taking selfies in a mansion. And now you're like, I want to be like that. But that's, so we kind of talk about that. It's normal to have these ingested, indoctrinated thoughts because you're conditioned by culture. And once you realize that as you grow older, that these thoughts come from a culture that predicates itself on the external world and on false ideas about what happiness is, then you begin to realize, oh, I need to let go of these thoughts. I need to de-ice myself. I need to uh, you know, send them to the spam folder. What do you say if your child is going to go back to school and they're very anxious and they have, a, you know, their stomach is upset and they say they're scared and you, you I, I'm thinking about how we're always telling our children, especially our daughters, to trust their intuition. Mm-hmm. And and what if a child says, but my intuition says this is dangerous and scary, then what? How do we untangle intuition from fear-based thinking that isn't necessarily true? In the book, we create a character and her name is Wisty, Wisty the Warrior. And not unlike what they did in Inside Out, where there was a personification of all of the emotions, right? There's anger and there's joy and there's, there's disgust, I believe. 
So we have worry and there's Wisty the worrier. And sometimes Wisty sends messages at the wrong time, right? So we teach them to distinguish what their intuition is by teaching them you have different parts of yourself and your feeling is actually, the feeling of worry is a messenger and you can think about it like a character and you can even talk to that character. So one of the most powerful things that we can do is dispute our own thoughts, you know, by talking to ourselves. And it's one of the ways that we can learn, again, what's a spammy thought and what really is more of an authentic thought that we can own. And I think that is a life skill that you, you know, goes far, far beyond the pandemic. And kids actually love, sometimes they take our name that we created, Wisteria the Warrior, Wisty the Warrior, or sometimes they create their own you know, it could be Joe or Mr. Bossy or whomever, but this ability to give it something palpable, uh, to give it, uh, to personify it and really give, bring it to life. It's so helpful. It demystifies what's going on. It makes it fun for them. It makes it less scary for them and it empowers them. Instead of when I was a kid, I think one of the biggest issues I had was I felt powerless to the worry this puts the power back in our hands. And a lot of that intuition, if it's future-based, it's not, you know, intuition is what you're feeling now. But a lot of us have intuition about something that hasn't happened. And that's where it gets enmeshed with fear-based thinking. And uh, Rini will talk about that, about how kids what if all the time, and they call it intuition. The what if is not what is. You know, the what if, so a lot of intu- what goes on as intuition is not based on something happening right now. So we have to teach our children to come back into the moment and go moment by moment by moment by moment. And that's how you disentangle the two. You know, they can't just say, I feel like my teacher doesn't like me. Uh, based on what? I just feel it. No, we, we, that's not intuition. That's just random projection. Right. So we, we can't mistake different things for intuition. Intuition is really lauded and praised, but often it gets entangled with other stuff. And intuition is something that needs to be developed over time. So we can't tell a kid, trust your intuition because they haven't yet fully developed that. Adults barely have, you know, intuition takes a lot of inner stillness to cultivate, to weed out what's, what's noise from culture, what is fear from the past, what's present, what's future. So I would really, not encourage that in children so much because then they could just run with that word and then you're stuck, you know? You're like, that's not intuition. And they're like, yes, it is, right? So why even why even go there versus what are you feeling right now, right? And grounding them in the isness. But the what if is a big part of our book and maybe Vini wants to address that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it. We, we call it what ifing, you know, when you're constantly questioning the future and what if this happens and what if that happens. And, and it's interesting that kids will immediately, as soon as you say the what if, they'll have five what if things that they're thinking in their head that they'll say, yeah, I was wondering, you know, what if this happens mm-hmm. and what if that happens? One great thing to do with kids is to have them test their own predictions. You know, what if it's a terrible day? at school and I worry all day long and they come home and you talk about it, you know? So tell me, did you worry all day long or did this thing happen that you thought was going to happen? And they say, no, a lot of times when I'm working with kids, I'll actually have them record themselves. So, you know, they will, with the permission of their parents, take out a phone and record what actually happened 
right? Because we forget what the accuracy is. So then later, a good example of this is my daughter is really, really scared of going to the dentist, like massive phobia. Every time we go, she's fine. Right. So afterwards, I have her record herself saying, Jasmine, I just want you to remember next time you go to the dentist that this time when you went, it was actually really fine, but you were really worried before. So it's probably going to be okay. Because who better to teach our kids than themselves? Right. Totally. I did that actually with my three year old with preschool because she cries every morning at drop off and she's sobbing and it's so sad. And then like two minutes later, they send a picture and she's having a great time. But I did do a video over at the end of the day and she's like, my class is so nice. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I've got the proof. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Exactly. Um, listeners, I cannot wait for you to share with us how much you love Superpowered and where can everybody find you to? You can go to get superpowered. Dot com. That's where you can find the book and more about both uh, the work that we do, Dr. Shivali and myself. But yeah, I get superpowered.com. Thank you for asking. Uh, you guys made that really easy. Uh, okay. I really am excited for everyone to get this book. It'll also be a really beautiful addition to classrooms. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe. Please write a review if you appreciate this podcast. It helps new parents find us. And don't miss last week's episode we released with Elizabeth Lesser. She was also a Super Soul Sunday guest. And next week, I'm speaking with Chelsea Clinton about her new children's book, She Persisted in Sports. Don't miss it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Shafali and Rini. Thank you for today. And thank you, Ellie. I feel really good about this week now. Thank you. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.